you're tuning into the concept segment, an exploration of the evidence base on the topic we're discussing. Imposter syndrome is defined by the Oxford Dictionary as the persistent inability to believe that one's success is deserved or has been legitimately achieved as a result of one's own effort or skill. A lot of people know what fight or flight is about. We've, we've kind of heard about how those activate, but there's two other ones, freeze and fawn. And fawning and the four Ps of imposter syndrome connect here because they can show up as people-pleasing, perfectionism, paralysis, and procrastination. So we're going to dissect a little bit more of what each of these things are. And then in the next section, as you know, we're going to talk about some ways to lean into uh, practices. But just a level set. There was a recent survey by KPMG that suggested that 75% of female executives have experienced imposter syndrome in their careers. And when we really think about that as being 75% of female executives doubting their abilities, despite evidence of their success, believing that they are frauds, we can see how that can show up in some of our behaviors as well. Having less confidence in our abilities, being less likely to take risks or put up our hands, having lower confidence, even amongst high achieving people. And that is really staggering. And this is not a, a situation that affects only women. It can affect anybody. And certainly, while we know that it affects more women than men, there are definitely men that experience this as well. And I, I remember even hearing a coaching colleague of mine who is a very established professional in her field sharing that one of the activities we had to do as part of our coaching training was really intimidating because she didn't consider herself to be academically inclined. And I remember her sharing kind of her own doubts related to that situation. And it, it always struck a chord with me that she had achieved such obvious success throughout her career. And despite that, she was still holding on to these negative self-doubting concepts. And, and I know that they were self-doubting because I saw her presentation and I saw the final product and it was fantastic. But it was just her inner narrative saying that she wasn't good at this thing. So I always found that really interesting. And a moment ago, I introduced the four Ps of imposter syndrome. And what those are, are people-pleasing, perfectionism, paralysis, and procrastination. And taking a moment with each one of these and seeing how it might show up might just help to concretize it just a little bit further. So people-pleasing as it relates to the imposter syndrome or just in general is about a need to seek approval from others on the basis of what you think the recipient wants. So... When we do that, we're not really showing up in our own authentic skin. We're, we're showing up in a way that we perceive others want us to show up. And that can create a lot of internal conflict within us because the, the ways we're behaving are not really the ways we want to be behaving. And we also leave all of the validation and all of the reaction on the basis of the person we perceive to be receiving that. And that can be a lot to put on somebody, especially when they're not aware that we're people-pleasing. 
and can also create a lot of hidden resentment. So if we are constantly trying to please somebody and behaving in a way that is not in line with maybe how we would behave otherwise, and then we don't receive recognition or acknowledgement in the way we expect to from that person, we've really created a double whammy. And there's a couple different types of imposter syndrome. So one of them is the perfectionist. So the perfectionist imposter syndrome is an expectation that everything will go perfectly and even minuscule errors are considered complete failures. And that can contribute to obviously a lot of feelings of disappointment and shame and guilt and is also an impossible standard because perfection isn't possible. So the next P here is about perfectionism. And perfectionism is about a fear of failure. And how this can show up, obviously, with in the context of imposter syndrome is sometimes overthinking every small detail, trying to make sure that all the T's are dotted and all the I's are crossed. Uh, okay, so here's the funny thing about me is I, for some reason, really insist on using these common sayings, but I never get them right. So I caught myself there in that one, and I will try not to use too many phrases often misconstrued, but don't hold me to that. So, I mean, I think it's pretty clear to see how perfectionism and striving for perfection can create paralysis and can hold somebody back from whether it's doing something like a creative project or we know this happens a lot, for example, in recruitment, where women will look at a list of the 10 job requirements and have nine and not apply to the position because they don't have all 10. Whereas we know that statistically males will apply with fewer of those skills. So again, not saying that men don't experience perfectionism or imposter syndrome, but the way it tends to show up, and some of this is in the workplace, but beyond that as well, is that it can really hinder somebody from taking some of the risks because when your bar for success is perfection, we know that that can lead to paralysis. So whether that's paralysis in pursuing an opportunity like I just talked about, it could even be putting yourself out there and attempting to meet new friends, let's say, if you've just moved to a new city or or you've started something new and maybe you're you're looking to expand your horizons in some way. A colleague of mine who has it requested specifically that she be referred to on this podcast as the great one pronouns she her um, the great one shared with me a story today about how she ran into somebody that she met and has met a number of times and this person happens to resemble somebody else and she made the mistake of calling them by the other person's name to which this person politely introduced themselves and and she just felt mortified the great one and she ruminated over it and kept reflecting on it and so much so that hours later when I saw her she was just saying how you know this had been on her mind all day and she'd really been thinking about it and, and frankly ruminating on it when I assure you that that person probably did not spend one second thinking about that experience beyond just that moment and I think we offer so much grace and compassion when people do things like that to us so that's an example of a, a cognitive distortion, rumination, and 
and catastrophizing might be another one. So let's say that in that same example, the great one sees this person again and and thinks that because of the awkwardness of that first interaction, which really is just her own interpretation, and again, the other person likely is not spending too much time thinking about it. But if she was to stay in that moment and say, well, because I had this one awkward interaction with this person, every single other interaction is going to be awkward. It's it's not inconceivable how that would create some paralysis and how that would maybe lean into somebody avoiding a situation. And avoiding those situations can sometimes remove ourselves from opportunities. And so this is really the risk of some of this imposter syndrome. And what I've really been trying to come to terms with in myself is how that only takes from me. And truly, if if I'm concerned about something, you know, sometimes I battle this in my head a little bit to say, isn't it reasonable to hold some humility? And I'm not the only person that thinks this. I've been having conversations with people about imposter syndrome. Something that many people have said back to me is, okay, but like maybe I don't actually know all the things and maybe it's good that I'm humble about it and I'm continuing to learn. And I think there is a ton of validity to that. I think if if you're really concerned that you are maybe don't know something well enough or that you are not sure about something, I think there's a lot of wisdom to trying to validate that by by looking at what you might need to learn and really assessing whether there is a gap in terms of your competencies and whether there is something that you need to do to support yourself in feeling more confident. But imposter syndrome is where you are learning and establishing yourself from a competency perspective and you have inputs that tell you you've got it, you're continuing to feel like a fraud. And the fourth P related here is procrastination. So if you're really worried that you're a fraud and that you're you're not going to be able to measure up, you're going to hold back. And, and that holding back may and that delaying may actually exclude you from the opportunity to participate. And I already touched on the perfectionist a lot when I talked about the the types of imposter syndromes, but there's a couple others. So where the perfectionist always looks for things to go perfectly and any evidence of a minor misstep is a complete failure. There's also the superhero. So the superhero is a person that feels like they have to do everything. And if they can't do everything also perfectly, then they're failing. I see this so much with my parent friends. And I see it in moms and dads that I talk to. And as a as a cat parent, um, that's about the level of responsibility that, that feels right for me right now. But that feels like a lot, let alone keeping humans alive and thinking about what you're going to feed them all the multiple meals of the day and also often carrying jobs and relationship responsibilities and household responsibilities and often people of my generation also have parental caregiving responsibilities and that's a lot and it is impossible to do any one of those things perfectly, let alone all of them simultaneously. And this can sometimes lead to people not asking for help or support because 
they feel like unless they can do all the roles by themselves, that they're failing or they're letting somebody down. And I find this to be really just so heartbreaking because it's an impossible bar. And we're going to talk about some of the antidotes to that. And a big part of it is self-compassion. So we're going to spend a lot more time in detail on that. But when we just even step back and think about all the hats we're wearing and that we so proudly wear. For me, cat mama, I'm an employee, I'm a partner, I'm a friend. I do none of those things perfectly. And including not being a, a perfect friend to myself. I'm quite awful to myself and I'm, I'm working on that. But if perfection is the standard, then you're always failing. So the superhero is kind of like the anti-hero in a way. And hopefully when we sit and reflect on some of our practices, we can talk about ways we can counteract that with that self-compassion. Another type of imposter syndrome is the expert. So this is the person that feels like they have to know everything or they're a failure. With my background as a scientist and someone who has expertise in a very precise way, the expectation that I would know everything about that just seems so impossible. And it actually feels counter to science because science is about testing your hypothesis. When you're doing an experimental study, there's there's the null hypothesis, which is what you're testing, and then there's the alternative hypothesis. And it's not about proving your hypothesis. It's quite the opposite. So when I think about the expert and something that makes me laugh is I started a new role right at the beginning of a, a major cultural milestone where I was responsible for our response of that and I had just started this new role, so I don't, I don't really know the organization. I don't know the people. I, I'm just getting kind of my feet sorted and settled in a in a somewhat rooted position, and suddenly, I'm the expert. And it was something that nobody was the expert on. And I don't think I've ever said, I don't know, so many times. And it kind of makes me laugh now, but I, in some ways, think. That saying, I don't know, gave some leeway because this was a situation that was changing so rapidly that if I had shown up with a sense of confidence and definitiveness about the situation, only to have to revise my position sometimes 20 minutes later, sometimes the next day, sometimes a week later, I don't think it would have really inspired confidence in the new hire at this organization. And when we can kind of take a step back and hear these things objectively and from outside of ourselves, I think we can hold an appreciation for how how ridiculous some of these things are, how ridiculous it is that we expect to be all the hats we wear perfectly, how ridiculous it would be to know every single thing about something. And sometimes when we can hold really deeply held beliefs, they can become limiting because things change. And when we're, we stay fixed in something, it can really be to our detriment. Another type of imposter syndrome, and I'm going to post all of these on my Instagram as well, is the natural genius. So this is the person who expects to just be great at whatever they're doing effortlessly. And when they aren't, then they feel ashamed. I can see how so many of these show up in, in my life. I think of myself as accidentally ambitious in the sense that I have somewhat stumbled into a lot of the things that I've had the opportunity to do. But part of that is also that 
When there is something I'm not good at, I very quickly identify it, and usually I just avoid it. And this has come to impact me in some pretty significant ways. Mortifyingly, I am a person who, despite being a fully licensed driver, am pretty uncomfortable driving. And if I'm being honest about it, it's because it doesn't come easy to me. It feels very stressful to have so many things to pay attention to. I, My mom growing up didn't drive, so we didn't have a car in our household. And so when I started learning to drive and driving, I was already of an age where my mortality felt um, a little bit closer to me than those of us that start driving when you know we're 16 years old getting our permits. And it's something that I'm not fantastic at if I'm being totally honest and not immediately fantastic at. And I remember I remember this starting from my very first driving lesson. It was the very first time that I had operated a vehicle. So I don't know why I expected that I would just know how to do this. And oh, to the, to, to the very, I'm sure to the much of the dismay of my driving instructor who took me on not like a major road, but a 70 kilometer road for the first time and then <laughs> quickly had to direct me to get off of those roads for the safety of, of everybody and just the the look of sheer terror on his face when I saw that he grossly miscalculated my abilities to operate that vehicle and while I can laugh at it now I remember in that very first time driving a car very first time hadn't like hadn't done the little like drive around the parking lot very first time saying to myself I'm not a good driver I'm just not good at this I just this wasn't what I was meant to do one time one time was all it took for me to just write off this I would now come to describe it as a pretty critical life skill and that's why as, a, as an adult, I am now partaking in building up my confidence to drive more and coming to a place of self-compassion where when I'm having those self-doubting moments or saying this is just not something I'm capable of, I'm reminding myself that I'm learning and it's difficult and it's also important and something that I shouldn't be so laissez-faire about because... It is a very serious thing, and safety is something that is very important to me, both physically and psychologically, and so keeping myself and others safe is a good thing. So my vigilance and my wanting to build my confidence and also knowing my limits is a good thing, and it also relieves me of some of the pressures to be the natural genius as it relates to operating a vehicle and puts me in a place where I'm inspired to take on more and to keep practicing and leaning into that driving so that I get better at it rather than, again, just writing it off completely. And like I said, we're going to talk about goals a lot. I feel like you're going to know what all of the goals are on my annual list by the end of this podcast. But one of the goals that I have on there is to continue building my confidence in driving. And I'm really proud of this because it's something that, quite frankly, at a point in my life, I had just completely written off as a thing I was ever going to do. I was holding that fixed and limiting belief I mentioned earlier. I had accepted a reality for myself and challenging my imposter syndrome and 
having an awareness to these things and then really looking for where they show up in my life and making choices about what I want to change is something that I've really been embracing. And then the soloist. So the soloist is the person who can do it all alone and doesn't want any help from anybody else. So help of any sort is seen as a weakness and can actually reinforce and consolidate those inner thoughts and beliefs that you're an imposter. It's it's this, if I wasn't an imposter, I could do this all on my own. And something that at some point I'm really excited to talk about in this podcast is social connections and how important community and connection is. And the reason that the concept of community and connection stands out so much for me is because earlier in my career, I worked in tobacco interventions and smoking cessation. And it really stood out for me how we talked about obviously smoking as a major preventable risk factor. And then the conversation also evolved to things like sitting or sedentary activities. And now it's isolation and loneliness that's really emerging. And in a post-COVID world where so much more isolation occurred, it's that much more important that we are looking at and focusing on building community. In an individualistic society like we have in North America, there's such a sense of pride and ego in the person and in the individual, which is different than collectivist societies where it's more about community-based benefits. And the interesting thing is we evolved in communities and we're meant to be in communities. And so the soloist who's holding the imposter syndrome of I have to do everything on my own and any sign of needing help is a weakness and a failure may actually risk isolating themselves further, which not only reinforces their imposter syndrome, but also removes them from the community that might be able to support them. So that's a little bit more exploration into the construct of imposter syndrome with a couple examples and the types of imposter syndrome that somebody might be experiencing. And I'm sure there's many more, but that's just a little bit to get you started in thinking about how it might show up in your world. And part of what we're going to do now is look at the what you can do about it. So if you'd like to try out some of these practices, check out our practice segment. And if you'd like to hear how it has shown up in my life, check out the story segment. Please like, follow, and leave a five-star review if you're enjoying this. Thanks for being part of this journey with me. This is Lil, and you're listening to Lil on Life. If you'd like to reach out, you can get me on my Gmail at lilonlifepod at gmail.com. That's lil with one L, onlifepod at gmail.com. Or on my socials, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, at lilonlifepod. Lil on Life podcast is produced by Brando and Company. You can find his work on Instagram at Brandon Allen. Lil on Life is a Big B and Little L collaboration. Opinions expressed in this podcast are my own and may not reflect those of my employers. If you or someone you know is in danger, please dial 911. In Canada, if you or someone you know is thinking about suicide, call or text 988. Support is available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Once again, that number is 988.